Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody. Hamish Hodder is joining me as always. Hamish, a big question for you straight off the bat. Mm. How's your back? (laughs) Yeah, it's not great. Um, I did go and see a physio, though. Um, so yeah, that's the first time I've actually gone to the doctors in, uh, or like a, a doctor or, or some sorts in a long time. Medical so. professional. Medical professional <laughs> actually seeking help. What, what do you know? No, uh, <laughs> no, it's not good. Um, yeah, we, we couldn't really, it, it's really strange. Well, I don't want to turn this into a medical podcast, but it's really strange no, because the pain is only, it's sh- really bad pain when I wake up in the morning, but then as soon as I get up, it goes away completely. So it's so I went to the physio and there's we can't even find any pain, um, yeah, which is uh, making it a little bit frustrating. So I might um, if it continues to get worse, I might go get some scans done or something just to, um, right. yeah, see if I can get it fixed quickly because it's mm. yeah it's been going for a while, but um, that's okay. I used to be a physio, but uh, I'm not anymore. Yeah, can, can you, you f- change your sleeping position, um, or are you like set in stone? I sleep this way. I d- I don't know how many positions are there. I sleep on my side, so side. Can yeah. you sleep on your back or not really? Uh, I probably could. I could try. With a pillow under your knees. Yeah, I could probably try. I don't know. Yeah, can you fly down just to Melbourne and just um, assess me? Is that? It? Can you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> dust I thought you were say, old... Can you just uh, help me? Help me sleep. <laughs> you want me to tuck <laughs> Jeez, in next to you, mate? <laughs> Jesus, man. Jesus. No, dust off the old certificate and. Uh... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the one that says expired in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, open up an illegal Maybe. practice and then. Uh... <laughs> you never know. We'll put it out to the audience. Maybe we have some, uh, I don't know, physios out there. Maybe we have some chiros, some sleep specialists. Mm. I know yeah. there are What's wrong with me? Special- What's wrong? What's wrong with Hamish? <laughs> what is wrong with him? What can he do? I tell you yeah. what you need. You need one of those fancy new... I've seen the advertising everywhere. You need one mm. of those uh, mattress covers that warms and cools your bed. Yeah, oh, really? That's, have, you, have you seen that? MKBHD's no. plugging it a lot. Ah, like ele- is it electric or something? Like, what? Yeah, it's like a mattress cover. I think it pumps like water through your bed. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's like a cover. Yeah. So you can like adjust the temperature and stuff. Oh my gosh. Right. I just thought I'd bring it up because it's literally everywhere. I cannot, cannot escape the marketing right now. Yeah. And everybody's just talking about it. Anyway, well, it's working because here I am talking about it. So there you go. Yeah. There's a <laughs> lot of money you can spend on sleep. There's a lot of stuff. Mm. Better mattress. You can get that ring thing that tracks your sleep. You can get some air conditioning. Yeah. Like there's, there's endless amounts of money you could spend to try and fix your sleep if you really wanted to. So. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it's hopefully yeah. it's not the mattress or or well. I mean, it doesn't really. If it is, that's kind of an easy fix, I guess. But um, it's just kind of mm. annoying if I have to get a new mattress, which could be the case. But well, how long have you had your mattress for, though? Um, sorry, probably, we're getting well into the weeds. Yeah, here. this is this has <laughs> gone way. We, we too promise deep. we'll talk Pro- about investing in like just a second. But yeah. this is important. Yeah, this is important. <laughs> I don't know. Probably like eight years. It's pretty old. So yeah. And yeah. how long have you had your back pain for? Oh yeah, only the past couple of months. But it could—I mean, it could be the case that a spring's kind of—I don't know—moved or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's like stabbing you in the back. <laughs> yeah, there's it's just—I like... just pull off the cover and there's just a spring like out. <laughs> like, oh, that's it. That's weird. You like touch your back. You're like, oh, there is blood. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, this piece of metal in my back. <laughs> <laughs> Oh um, gosh! No, but um, yeah, we should we should get into should get into the yeah, podcast. Uh, I did want to mention uh, <laughs> we, we should mention early on we're going to be experimenting a little bit with um, running some embedded ads uh, on the podcast. Mm. Uh, as we've kind of said uh, in the past, um, we're when it comes to the podcast, we're really just trying to cover our expenses, um, and they've mm. kind of got, been going up over the last couple of years. I don't know if we actually ever spoke about it, but. We pay for our expenses, a lot of our expenses for the podcast in US dollars. So as we've kind of seen this yep. shift in the US dollar, Australian dollar, we've actually seen like almost a 50% increase in the just in the cost of the podcast. And we've been kind of just eating that for a little while. So um, yep. yeah, if you're seeing some extra ads uh, on the podcast, uh, on like uh, podcast platforms, that's why. Um, yep. So yeah. We don't mean to annoy you guys. 
No. But, um, yeah. We need I mean, a- we're just trying to we're just trying to keep the lights on. We're not trying yeah. to line our pockets <laughs> no. over here. We're just I mean, keeping we, the lights on. We are certainly not lining our pockets with this podcast. No. I can tell you that no. much. Yeah, yeah. No. Definitely not. Um, but yeah. So um, yeah, we we appreciate you guys supporting the podcast and. Um, it's it's I th- I think personally it's a much better strategy to have ads that um, you know if people don't want to listen to them they don't have to mm. as opposed to doing some sort of system where you have to pay for the podcast. Yes, I'd rather the podcast be freely available to everyone, even if it comes with a few more ads. Yeah, I think I yep. think that's a better strategy. Hundred percent for everybody. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll just be experimenting. So things might change. Um, we're just going to see kind of what works, how it works, because we've not done kind of podcast inbuilt advertising no. before. Um, so we'll just see how, how it goes. But yeah, we appreciate you guys sticking with us and uh, and uh, supporting the ads and, uh, uh, and and that kind of stuff, because it does help. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. With so, that said, yeah. Guess what? <laughs> We've got an ad. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored, uh, brought to you by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. Uh, access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks. View buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm. Uh, screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics, access up to 10 years of financial data and company filings, and manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. Uh, click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors. That's seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for 14 days. And as always, uh, we very much appreciate those who uh, are signing up to Seeking Alpha or, or our other sponsors and are using our links and, of course, are supporting uh, what we do here. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Hamish. Um, we didn't even say what we're talking about today. No. Um, we've got some economic data to talk about. Um, Joe Biden said some interesting stuff with Chinese investments. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a big new SPAC listing, which are an, an EV maker of all Ooh. things too. Hoo, hoo, hoo. Wow. Yeah, time to get frothy. Um, Tesla doing some price cuts. We'll talk about that real quick. And some uh, some movie news as well. Mm. So that's, uh, that's what we're going to get through today. Um, and of course... The 13F filings. How did I almost forget that, Hamish? The yeah. 13F filings are out. The 13F filings, fact, yes. should we start there? I think, yeah, I think we should start there because I'm not actually sure how long we'll kind of talk on the 13Fs. Yeah. We'll, we'll dive into some of them and, and see who's been making some moves and then from there we'll kind of see what other stories we get to. But yes, 13F filings. Yeah. Um, every quarter we get to see, we get a peek behind the curtains at uh, what the uh, big fund managers uh, are doing uh, over in the U.S., um, at yep. least with their U.S. Uh, equity investments, so we can take a peek at you know Buffett's portfolio and Monish Prabhai's portfolio. Michael Burry is always uh, up there as uh, someone mm. who's interesting to watch. Always very active. Um, so where should we begin? Uh, um, I think. Do you want to start with Granddaddy, Mr. Buffett? Yes, we should start yeah. with Mr. Buffett. There's not too much to talk about with uh, Warren Buffett, not anything that we haven't already uh, discussed previously. Um, the main thing that we saw uh, was that Buffett has reduced 70% now of his Activision Blizzard uh, stake, uh, which yep. we knew he had sold that... Uh, sold most of that already. I think we even do we talk about. I'm pretty sure we spoke about it on the podcast. Yeah. So because of the because of the uh, the amount of uh, Activision Blizzard that Berkshire hold, held, uh, it was above a threshold, uh, the five percent threshold. So they actually had to report that two days mm. after the trade. Um, so we got that immediately, yep. and now we're kind of seeing it confirmed alongside uh, the the rest of Berkshire's trades. Um, yeah, exactly right. So I don't think we need to talk too much. Um, this was, of course, what Warren Buffett thought um, was going to be like a, a kind of an arbitrage bet. Yeah. Um, well, not not completely arbitrage because arbitrage there's like 
no risk. Yeah. But what, what did he call it? Like a workout? A workout or, or a risky arbitrage, yeah. I think. Is, risky is arbitrage. Another term that people use in the space. Um, yeah, exactly. And, um, and you know, he thought he thought the acquisition was just going to go through. Um, didn't think that the... Um, the What's it called, Hamish, in America? FTC? FTC, yeah, FTC, that's it. Uh, didn't think they had a leak to stand on. It was just going to go through. And uh, all of a sudden, we saw the uh, market regulators in America and in the UK um, kick up a stink at the acquisition. Um, so Warren Buffett, on the record, he said, look, I, I don't know what happens anymore. And sure enough, after he said that, we look at his 13F filing and he's decided to pretty much leave the position. Yep. Um, there was some shares held by Ted and Todd, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So as I, my interpretation is that Warren Buffett has sold what he bought yep. and Ted and Todd probably still hold, which ended up, it looks like it's going to end up being the right move. Although Buffett, you know, it's very Buffett style. He, he wasn't sure anymore. So he decided to sell, yep. which is fair enough. Um, but then, of course, we, we've got all the updates from there, which looks like the deal is most certainly going to go through, if yeah. it hasn't already. I don't even know if it has I gone through. I don't think so. Um, I think there's, yeah, I I think they're still negotiating uh, with UK regulators, and right. I think they're still being sued by the FTC. I think that lawsuit was pushed back until... Uh, yeah, sometime later this month or maybe early right. next month, I think it was. But yeah, you're right. There's So they still hold 14.6 million shares. Berkshire, this is, holds 14.6 yep. million shares. And that's the exact amount of shares that uh, Ted and Todd, uh, or at least one of those investment, investors at Berkshire, purchased in the first place. Yeah, right. So Buffett is 100% um, out, which is kind of funny. We always talk about Buffett and Berkshire as kind of the same thing, but we have to remember, mm. at least at the lower end of the portfolio, there are... Um, other investors now making um, decisions. Um, The only other thing to talk about, kind of out of the top 10, 15 positions, um, is that there was a 7% reduction in Chevron. Chevron holds 5.56% of the Berkshire portfolio and is the one, two, three, four, fifth largest holding. Um, they also added another 6% to Occidental Petroleum. So Buffett is loving Occidental. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, six largest. Um, but that's really it. The other changes added 25% to Capital One. These are happening way further down in the portfolio. Yeah. Um, reduced Selenies, Global Life reduced 60%. There's two very small buys in Lenar Corp and NVR. So I think they would almost certainly be Ted uh, or Todd. Um, and the only other interesting thing I took out of Buffett's portfolio is uh, not necessarily a change, but because Apple is just a godly investment, it now holds 51% <laughs> of the Berkshire portfolio, the US portfolio, I should say. <laughs> 51% of the US portfolio yeah, is held by Apple. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, it, that's, it, it's, it's insane because he, he did put such a large amount um, into Apple a few years ago when he kind of made that investment. 2016, I think, was kind of most of it. And then it's just performed so exceptionally well. Yeah. Uh, so it was he, he kind of chose it to be the largest position and now it's kind of ballooned to being you know, abnormally high. But yeah, in true Buffett style, he, um, he hasn't really trimmed it all that much. He's, uh, he did a couple no. of trims, but they're probably related to tax things. Um, yeah. there's no substantial trimming at all happening. Um, he's holding mm. on to his winners. Um, so yeah, it's crazy though. 51%. And of course, Berkshire has, you know, other wholly owned businesses. So this isn't 51% of, you know, I guess all of their businesses Everything. per se. Yeah. Uh, but yes, out of their, you know, stock portfolio, the individual kind of um, shares that they're buying. Um, yeah. 51% is, is crazy. Um, mm. yeah. The next largest, uh, holding is Bank of America at 8.5% of yeah. the US portfolios. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a big step. Yeah. It's a big step down. Um, okay, shall we move on? Yeah, this is just a pretty quick one, but we saw uh, Monish Pabrai and Lee Lu both uh, completely sell out of Micron, which has been uh, a, a semiconductor mm. bet that the two of them have been, uh, well, we haven't heard from Lee Lu, but we've heard from uh, Monish Pabrai on um, Micron quite a few times over the past year or so. Um, and they've collaborated. I think they actually, I think Monish did say that they collaborated on that yeah. deal. 
Um, so it makes sense to see that they both exited at the same time. Yeah, um, they're probably having a chat to each other. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to be honest, I don't really know all that much about Micron, except it's a semiconductor company and... Um, that's basically yeah. it. I don't. I don't really know too yeah. much about. Um, I you know a little bit of Manish's uh, kind of long term thesis, which clearly isn't um, kind of um, playing out for him because they're they're out of it now. Uh, was related into kind of Moore's law, kind of slowing over time. So this kind of rapid innovation that's been in the semiconductor space is kind of s- was potentially slowing, and that would um, mean the the semiconductor companies that had already established themselves in this very expensive, high barrier to entry market would kind of maintain their market position. That's kind of the general thesis, I think, for for a company like Micron. Um, mm. but it's interesting to see that he sold out. Um, so even though that was his long-term thesis, he thinks the stock has kind of, I guess, reached a point, um, where he, uh, where, where there's not much value or much upside left, which is kind of shows you this, this the distinction in, in some value investors approaches. Uh, some people will look to kind of buy undervalued and then sell overval- overvalued or move money into other assets. Whereas a Buffett or a Charlie Munger, generally they try and buy things that they want to hold forever. Um, yeah, like a, like an Apple, for example, where, as you said, kind of there, even though it's a massive part of the portfolio, relatively much more expensive compared to when they were buying, they're still happy to just be a kind of passive owner in the company. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Very interesting. I can't add anything on Micron. It's not a business I've actually ever looked into. Um, you probably know more about it than me. So let's yep. move on from there. Guy Spear. Did absolutely nothing. Yep. Good on you, Guy. Good job. I'm, I'm talking to Guy again in a few weeks, actually. Oh, so that'll be that'll nice. be interesting. Yeah. yeah. I have to think about some questions to ask him. Mm. Um, beyond that, uh, Charlie Munger also did nothing. Daily Journal did nothing. Um, the only other one I really want to talk about <laughs> is 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 Michael Burry. Yes. And we'll talk about him. He. We'll talk about him because I know a lot of people love to hear about what he's up to. Um, yeah. Of course, he's one of the people depicted in The Big Short, played by Christian Bale. Um, every time I make a video on the channel about Michael Burry, it just does get so many views versus all the other stuff. It kind of yeah. baffles me how much people want to know about Michael Burry. <laughs> yeah, I think- especially considering like he he manages. I mean, he's a great he's he's an interesting dude to follow and a good investor, but. He manages how much money? Not not uh, that much. Two hundred forty million um, in yeah, total. Yeah, two forty million. Yeah. Versus Berkshire, Warren Buffett. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little bit more than that. <laughs> a little, it's yeah. Much more. Um, but yeah, so we'll, yeah. we'll cover him anyway. And uh, we're I think we're both making videos about this topic right now for for yeah. our, our YouTube channels. Uh, the main takeaway is that there's a couple of sneaky options bets that uh, popped into Michael Burry's portfolio this time around. He has two put option positions um, against, one of them's against the S&P 500 and one of them is against the NASDAQ 100. Yeah. Um, what, what, do you, what do you know, Hamish? Yeah, well, it, it's interesting to see. So I think it's, what was it, 4 million shares in total, 2 million apiece. Um, so the, the total notional value of the shares is like $1.6 billion. So that's the headline you're, yeah. you're probably seeing everywhere is, oh my God, he's betting $1.6 billion. That's not, you know, well, it's not that's entirely, not true. it's not accurate at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the truth is when it comes to put options, you're not investing in those shares entirely. So you're kind of paying a small premium, which may be a couple of percent of the, the notional value to even less than a percent of the, the actual notional value of the shares, depending on the nature of the bet. Uh, and that's yep. the truth. At the end of the day, we don't actually know too much about it. We don't know what the strike price is or when these options expire. So, he Which c- both have effects, uh, impacts on what the options cost. E- e- exactly. And, and what they mean. Is, is this a bet of, okay, over the next two years or the next one year, the market's going to go down? Or is it over the next week, sometime in Q2 that's already passed, he's made some bet that... So, well, actually, it would have to be at the end of the quarter, but like it could have, it could be as little as a couple of days after the end of the quarter um, that those uh, yeah. options kind of expired. And the difference is kind of significant. It could be, um, for example, a, a very, very, very small bet that the market moves down a lot. So a couple hundred thousand dollars of the portfolio betting that the market drops, I don't know, let's say like 20 or 30% over a month could be one example. Mm. Or at the other end of the extreme, it could be a 30, $40 million bet uh, that the market just moves down a couple of percent at least or, or more over the next 
month or, or two months or even longer, right? So there's we yeah. really have no clarity on or the nature of this. It could be a mix. <laughs> yeah, or, or a mix of both, right? We only see the, yeah. the total shares of, of options. We don't know. Yeah, they, they exactly right. They it very likely could be kind of tr- tranches of different options, of different lengths, of different yeah. strike prices, different – Yeah. Everything, it, we have no clarity at all, unfortunately. No. Um, the only thing you get in the 13F filings is, you know – what type of option it is. So we know that he bought put options. Yes. And you know, yeah, the notional value, you know that the number, the value of the number of shares, or you know the number of shares that he bought put options against, which then gets quoted as what's the total value of those shares, which makes it look extreme. Yes. When it's really, it's really not. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, as you kind of said, we both have kind of videos coming here that probably are out at the, at the time. Mm. This maybe not, um, but uh, certainly coming out over this weekend. Um, and uh, I kind of went into talking about how it potentially, again, depending on how long these these options are, we don't really know. But potentially, yeah. it's related to a lot of the AI hype that we've seen this year and how that's impacting mm. market returns. Um, so there was a really interesting uh, uh, report done by S and P. Uh, a couple of months ago that kind of showed that uh, all of the stock market gains this year so far have come from just seven stocks. Uh, And those seven stocks are all companies that have made some kind of AI project announcement this year, whether it be Microsoft, um, Alphabet, NVIDIA, Meta Platforms, um, Amazon, I can't remember what the other one, um, Apple as well. Um, Tesla, yeah. And and Tesla, yeah. So those are the seven stocks and those seven stocks account for 110% of the gains in the market this year. Wow. So more than all of the gains. Uh, so in other words, wow. if those seven the stocks other- <laughs> were not there, the market is down, um, which is which is a crazy kind of split of actual market performance. And yeah, especially considering he's also betting against the NASDAQ, which those seven stocks are seven out of the top 10 NASDAQ stocks. It, makes, mm. it, it could be potentially related to um, a bet that uh, market returns this year are kind of a, a bit of an AI bubble that they actually don't reflect yeah. any real changes in the value of these companies. Mm. And this, this, that theory makes sense because while he made, and this is his 13F was actually on face value, quite contradictory because he actually bought 25 new stocks. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's made these two put option, <clears throat> put option bets against the stock market while buying a load of stocks. Yeah. So you're like, well, you, you, want, you want the stock market to go down? You, you buy all these stocks? So yeah. it kind of makes sense if you break it down. Because of that reasoning that most of the S&P gain, well, more than all of the S&P gains are from these seven companies. And actually those seven companies reside on the NASDAQ. <clears throat> yep. And he has made a bet against the NASDAQ 100. Yep. Then it probably does point you towards the direction that he's really betting against the AI hype yep. that has driven these indices up so much. Yeah. And he's still in his brain, he's still that, you know, deep value kind of investor, albeit his short term, whereas someone like a Warren Buffett or a Charlie Munger's long term. So there's difference in time horizons, but he is fundamentally a value driven investor. Yeah. <clears throat> so it makes sense that he's found these twenty five businesses that he thinks are um, offer value, and I was actually looking at Unrivaled Investing's video talking about how um, he buys very low, kind of priced free cash flow businesses. And I had a look, and sure yep. enough, a lot of these stocks are very low priced free cash flow. Yeah, um, it makes sense why he's gone and done that at the same time as betting against the stock market. Yeah, it's that he's probably betting against these seven yeah. AI hype companies. Yeah, yeah. And, and people use uh, investors all the time use these put options as just a hedge, so it's kind of insurance. Uh, against their longer positions. So he might be very bullish on these stocks, but yeah, he's thinking in the back of his head or, or from what he's seeing, there's a you know a reasonable chance that the market collapses significantly. So let me place a little bet, a couple hundred thousand dollars of the 200 million in the portfolio. And if the market does collapse a lot over the next uh, couple of months, let, let's say that's kind of the, the nature of the option, which it could be, uh, yep. then he'll make a ton of money on, on that and it will offset the declines in his kind of normal portfolio, the stocks that he's betting on. So, um, yeah. yeah, I wish we had a little bit more clarity. So, um, hopefully... It'd hope- be nice. It'd be cool if 13Fs gave you the um, the strike prices, the expiry dates. That'd be so cool. Yeah, because but, um, um, I think when it comes to... Uh, 
uh, congressmen and women in at, at, at in in the government at, at the US, they do report all of it. Um, so you right. get the strike price, you, you get the exact options that they're buying, um, wow. which is why there's like so much funny information about um, you know Pelosi and, and these people yeah. who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars from trading stocks, like with yeah. you know no inside information, no edge. Um, but I, we, I wish we did get that uh, yeah that level of data too. That would be that'd be that pretty would be cool. cool. Yeah, alas. We do not. No. Um, all right. I think that's pretty much all I had to to say in terms of 13Fs. Did you have anything else you wanted to bring up in, um, in that realm? No, I think that's, yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, fairly quiet except for, yeah, Mr. Mr. Burry um, giving us a giving us a nice <laughs> headline or giving, giving some media companies a nice headline. Um, yeah. I saw CNN actually just straight up said he bet $1.6 billion, which is just factually incorrect. Yeah. I couldn't it believe is. it. I was it was CNN. Like, wow. I was like, yeah. okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I've seen like, yeah, even CNBC saying Michael Burry's massive bet against the stock market. It's like, yeah. it's not massive, it's tiny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't actually know. We have no idea yeah. what the bet is. <laughs> Chances are it's a yeah. very small bet. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, hey, Hamish. Hmm. Boy, have I got a story for you. Just yeah. to follow up. Keep it lighthearted. Keep it funny. Hmm. Uh, do you want to hear about... A new EV IPO? I do. Yeah, you know I like IPOs. It's actually the only type of investment that I, that I do. I love that companies. You buy. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Oh. I love companies that are overpriced, that don't produce anything, um, that have management teams that are salesmen. Um, <laughs> what else? Um, they don't have any equity ownership themselves. Um, they're paying themselves <laughs> a huge salary. Um, so I'm guessing it's one of those. So yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Boy, have I got a story for you, Hamish. Um, there has been a new, um, a new EV player come onto the market via our favorite method of kind of mm. listing, a mm. SPAC. Our They're favorite back, method of dodging requi- listing requirements. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listing SPACs through back, a shell baby. company. <laughs> they, ne- they never left. Um, it's, it's a company called VinFast. So let me, re- let me read this to you, Hamish. It, a Vietnamese EV maker, VinFast, debuted on the NASDAQ this week, and its start has been described as nothing short of remarkable you wow. got to get in. Described by in, described mate. by who? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. One of the yeah. Um, the automaker, which went public via a merger with special purpose acquisition company Black Spade Acquisition, saw shares catapult sixty eight percent to close at thirty seven dollars and six cents. Right? Okay. Sure. Mm. Yep. Sixty eight percent. That's a, that's a big rise. Yeah, Get this, giving it a valuation of eighty six billion dollars a figure far above ford <laughs> gm and stellantis did we learn nothing from rivian have we have we learned when did when did rivian ipo i'm just pulling it up rivian ipo yeah. in 2021 it's been less than two years did yeah. we not forget rivian the last automaker how, to how far down is rivian now uh 84 from ipo 84 down yeah. from ipo still worth 20 billion dollars but it was worth over a hundred billion dollars at ipo which was astronomical and we probably had a very similar story to to say than what we're kind of saying today and laughing mm. about um that because that yeah that is absurd but I'd imagine well, since they're bigger than, uh, than than Ford and all of these automakers, they probably make a lot of cars and a lot of profit, I would imagine. They do. Right. They do. Actually, thousands. Doesn't matter the Ford are making millions. Hang on millions. a second. Do you say thousands? That's yeah. thousands more than Rivian when they IPO'd. Well, that's that's what I'm thinking, Hamish. <laughs> Comparatively, it's all relative. compare it to Rivian's 12 cars, yeah, yeah. then... This IPO actually looks really cheap. Yeah, Rivian twelve cars, one hundred and ten billion dollar value relative <laughs> yeah. to that ninety billion a thousand cars. That's yeah. that's relative uh, analysis right there. That's, no, not um, just just not just a thousand. Oh, I'm going to beat you there, oh, Hamish. I'm going to beat you there. The EV maker delivered uh, eleven thousand three hundred cars in the first half of twenty twenty three. Rock on. Well done. Yeah, rock on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You want to know for comparison? Yeah, uh, Ford. Uh, shipped 1.1 million vehicles in just Q1. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a minor difference there. <laughs> minor difference. Yeah. Ford has a market cap of 47 billion. Yeah, crazy. Um, 
And I, d- I don't actually know what the market cap is right now for uh, VinFast because that the plot thickens. Let me tell you. But yeah, the f- after the first day, it was uh, eighty six billion, forty seven billion for Ford, eighty six billion for VinFast. <laughs> Jesus. That is crazy. But the reason I don't know what the uh, current market cap is uh, is because it has uh, it has suffered in the second day of trading, which I'll, I'll get to. Um, what does it say here? It's fundamentals show a company with costly ambitions that far outweigh revenue. <laughs> of course. <laughs> VinFast wants to break into the US marketplace on the retail and production fronts, a plan that includes building a $2 billion EV factory in North Carolina and opening up showrooms in California and other states. So, what's driving uh, investor interest and volatility? The search for the next Tesla certainly plays a role, but there may be other reasons afoot. (laughs) As the Wall Street Journal noted, 90% of the SPAC's investors took their money out of the deal before it was completed. Fewer shares available for trading means a lot of room for big swings in the share price. And... Big swings there were, Hamish Hodder. As Yahoo Mm. Finance notes, the real stunner came Wednesday, even after VinFast's stock price plummeted 18.75 and closed at $30.11. The company was still holding onto a market cap that was well ahead of other established automakers. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, I don't even even know what to say at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, look, the one thing is, I will say, is... It is good for the EV space because the bigger these valuations come in, the more money they're raising and and that puts more money into the industry and that hopefully drives more innovation. Hopefully it's not wasted too much by the marketing teams and the executives of these these companies. But it it really does. The the higher valuation they get means essentially they're raising more capital from people. And even if you think that's money that's kind of being like, it's it's ridiculous to invest at those valuations, um, you know, on the side of uh, more EV companies competing and better innovation, it, it, it's kind of good in that respect. Mm. Then I guess you could say that money's probably better invested efficiently somewhere else. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yes, fair enough. Uh, it says here, share volatility is likely to continue for VinFast, but the real test will be in the years to come as VinFast attempts to scale production and sell Americans on its portfolio of EVs. That could be a rough road considering that VinFast's VF8 EV <laughs> has has been widely criticised for just about everything <laughs> from, ride, from ride quality to literally failing to operate. <laughs> you like that? Oh, dear. Oh, oh that's quality. Well, oh, should, quality we make, should, we do a, should we do a young investor's prediction? Where yeah, sure, will not? this... If we can remember to come back to this <laughs> at some point yeah. in the future, where will this stock be? Uh, I don't know, in a year or something. A year? Yeah. Um, so after the first first day, it had a market cap of eighty six billion. Hmm. I am going to say, what's Rivian at? Twenty billion. Twenty billion. Hmm. Or I'm going to say twelve billion. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. I, I was going to say at least a 50% drop, but yeah, probably way more than that. Um, mm. Well, yeah. what what did Rivian go to at the start? 100 and I something? I think 110 billion? or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. It, it uh, dropped. Yeah. Yeah. To 20. So I don't know. So what do you go. think? I've, I have no idea. I mean, if I... Stick a number on what, it. What on. should it go to? Zero. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Zero. <laughs> it, should, it should go down 99%. Um but uh, but I also said that about Rivian, and they still they still have a twenty billion dollar value. So there you go. Yeah. But, but it, it look twenty twenty three is kind of heating up. We've had some uh, we've had some meme stocks. We've got SPACs coming out again. It's come the markets if, on a flipping massive bull you, run. You know that's all a good thing, right? When when there's lots of meme stocks, when crypto's doing well, when there's SPACs, Ooh, yeah. when people are dodging listings through SPACs and reverse mergers, it's all good news. There's there's nothing that could go wrong. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Nothing, Nothing at all. Bori is wrong. There's no way the market could go down. 
Oh dear. Um, should I roll on into some more EV news, or do you yeah. want to talk? Do you want a bit of a break from EV news? No, no. Let's go. Let's let's do okay. it. Okay. Okay. I'll keep. Uh, sorry, I, I know I've been talking a lot. No, um, no. So I'll, I'll 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 get to the get to the point. Uh, the next EV story: Tesla cuts prices in China, which uh, actually sent BYD shares down quite a bit. So Mister mm-hmm. Mister Warren Buffet would uh, not be too happy. <laughs> Um, Tesla has once again cut prices in mainland China, uh, a competitive move that sent shares sliding as much as 3% on Monday. Um, shares paired back their earlier losses to trade slightly negative. Okay, well, I don't care about that at all. Um, the automaker announced the moves uh, in a Weibo post late Sunday evening. Two, the uh, two Chinese versions of Tesla's Model Y are uh, priced at 299,000 and 349,000 yuan uh, have been discounted by 14,000 yuan or around $2,000. Right. Uh, the Model 3 will have a limited time insurance subsidy of 8,000 yuan or around $1,100. The insurance subsidy will last until September, according to Tesla's post. And interestingly, so this is this has been the case. Um, it's been a bit of a price war happening over in, in China, um, mm. especially because the Chinese. <clears throat> we spoke about this last week, didn't we? They're not really spending. They're not really spending any money at the moment. So yeah. um, sales are down uh, across the board. So there's this price war going on because they they really want um, they really want the sales. They want to really make inroads into China. Um, and interestingly, this cut of price from Tesla actually sent BYD shares down 6%. That's crazy. Just like that. Yeah. 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 And it's fair enough too, uh, as, as, I'll, as I'll talk about in a second. Um, other news, Tesla also followed up with price cuts to both the Model S and the Model X. The Model X is on sale for 836,900 Chinese yuan or 114,000 USD. Um, down from uh, 898,900 yuan previously. Uh, the Model S is now offered at 754,900 754, yuan, uh, reduced from 808,900 yuan. So that they're cutting back the prices on everything now. Mm. Um, yes, I spoke about the war between Tesla and BYD, NEO, and Xpeng. Um, and they noted that that ate into Tesla's margins in the second quarter. I remember talking about that the margins were down. Um, Tesla's lost a lot of ground to domestic competitors, even as it ramps up its production in its Shanghai Gigafactory. <clears throat> but mm. this is where it gets interesting. CEO of auto consulting firm ZozoGo, Michael Dunn, said that Tesla seems convinced that the best way to win out today's China market of weaker demand is with aggressive price cuts sustained over time. This could put immense pressure on its competitors there, he added. Uh, the Chinese have no choice but to meet price cuts with their own putting further pressure on their bottom line. BYD margins are now razor thin. Uh, Neo, Li Auto and Xpeng are bleeding out, holding, uh, bleeding out, holding on. Mm. Um, yeah, it is interesting how kind of uh, bad news in an industry can actually sometimes be good news for the leading business because if you have a bunch of companies that are hanging on by a thread and another company that has quite reasonable profit margins and they're able to lower prices, sure, they make less money in the short term, but they could be obliterating the the ability of of competition to survive, especially in an industry where scale is is very important. Uh, So by lowering prices, short-term profitability goes down, increase your volume, lower your unit economics, and then you can improve your margins over time. So, yep. yeah. You got it. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Um, as we know, Tesla is one of the few EV makers that can run an EV program profitably. Hmm. So, if they running it profitably when most others don't is very handy because it means that you can bully you can bully as as rough as it is. I mean, that's yeah. that's the competitive nature of business. So, you can Offer the cheapest car, take mm. a hit on your and, uh, margins, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. You, you say you say bully, which is the, the correct way to think about it. But it's also you're lowering prices for consumers, so it's you know the, the end result for consumers is is very good. Um, obviously, yeah. it's it's pretty harsh on 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 Tesla's on competition competition, and they are able to bully them into these um, you know unprofitable situations. 
But yeah, at the end of the day, Tesla is doing something for themselves, which is cementing their place in the industry and doing something for customers right now, which is lowering prices and making customers yep. also, or, uh, com- uh, their competitors, you know, get into this price war with them. Yeah, that's true. If you do look at it from the consumer's point of view, it's mm. good. Yeah, <laughs> Cheaper EVs, love it. Um, anyway, that's all I had to talk about. That is the, the EV world for, for this week. Um, Here we go. Yeah. What what do you want to talk about, Hamish? Let's, Take it over. I'm looking at this waveform of this podcast and I have just been yammering. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> I'm going to shut up. Uh, I'm going to let you take over for a no, little no, bit. No, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, yeah, we've uh I thought I'd p- we we can piece together a couple of economic uh kind of news from around the world. If there's a few little bits and bobs that have kind of happened over the past week or so. Uh one of them is US inflation. So we got uh July data for US inflation. The CPI rose 3.2% year over year compared to 3% recorded last month. So uh, headline inflation is very, very good. Uh, It was up just 0.2% month over month. Um, So 0.2% month over month is like 2.4% annually. So at the current uh, rate, headline inflation is, um, is, is well within a reasonable place. Um, That sounds nice. It does. And then we, we get to core inflation. Um, and the story is still good. It's not as good. But uh, core CPI, which strips out the volatile uh, categories, food and energy, uh, rose 4.7% year over year, down from 4.8% recorded last month. So still pretty strong. Uh, but core CPI on a monthly basis, so just in July, rose also 0.2%. Uh, so even core CPI on a monthly basis now is very, very reasonable. And of course, it's just a month. So, you know, there's right. some, there's going to be some volatility over the next few months in that. But, um, but yeah, it's looking a lot better. Uh, very good. Um, things have continued every kind of every month this year. We've kind of said the same thing, kind of fingers crossed. Things are looking mm. better, but we're not sure. And that's been really the, what's played out through 2013, uh, 2013, 2023. And now we're in a position where compared to the start of the year, things are looking quite good. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, it's, um, I don't want to get, you know, you, you want to be a little bit cautious. Yeah. Cautiously optimistic. I think that's how I'd describe. I'm cautiously yeah. optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. <clears throat> uh, fingers crossed it's not the 1970s again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no repeat. But yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty good stats. Yeah. Like, I I hope I hope it stays like that. I really I really really do. Yeah, I yeah. really really do. Yeah, Sung Won Son, uh, the chief economist at SS Economics, said uh, it's not quite mission accomplished yet, but significant process uh, progress on the inflation front has been made. Uh, on balance, the inflation picture has improved significantly. Uh, the Federal Reserve will uh, stop raising interest rates soon. Um, so. Uh, that's kind of uh, one perspective on, on kind of what's happening at the moment. Uh, interestingly, out of the inflation increase, uh, almost all of the increase on a dollar basis came from shelter costs, uh, which rose 0.4%, but represents about a third of the overall inflation picture. So shelter plays a really big role uh, in yeah. inflation uh, and was up 7.7% compared to last year. Uh and 90% of that shelter category comes from higher rent. So, uh, which, you know, shouldn't be too surprising. You've, we've had these huge interest rate increases. So landlords, some landlords at least, have seen uh, higher costs for managing these properties. And they're now starting to pass those costs on to renters in the form of higher rent. Uh, so it makes sense that that is the, now the, the biggest driver of inflation, um, which is kind of a funny thing, right? Because you, you raise interest rates to cool uh, consumer spending, but it also, in a way, does at least contribute portionally to inflation through higher rents. But uh, in terms of everything else, other categories, everything's looking a lot better. So food, for example, was up just 0.2%, uh, whereas in the last few months, it's been very persistently quite strong. Uh, transport was also just 0.3%. Uh, fuel oil was actually the biggest individual increase this month. Uh, it increased 3% during the month. Um, but Interesting. that's also not really surprising. Oil is very yeah. volatile uh, and mm. it's still down 27% from last year. So um, mm. yeah, it, it kind of bounces around quite a lot. Mm. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, in terms of we also got labor data. Uh, so real wages increased 0.3% during the month. And we're up 1.1% from a year ago. So 
wage growth um, is outpacing inflation, which is obviously very good. You know, it's one thing for your wage for wages to be going up, but also to be actually outpacing the quite significant inflation that we've had uh, recently. However, that strong labour market does kind of play into what we heard out of the Fed minutes, which is we also heard uh, this week. We got the summary from the July meeting and, and how they're thinking about interest rates going forward and inflation. Right. Uh, the meeting summary stated, with inflation still well above the committee's long-run goal and the labour market remaining tight, most participants continue to see significant upside risks to inflation, which could uh, require further tightening of monetary policy. Um, so, you know, wages are, ri- are rising, which uh, adds, continues to kind of add demand on the, uh, add to the demand side of the inflation equation, uh, which means potentially uh, kind of more rate hikes will be needed to kind of get rid of that last bit of inflation. Uh, you can kind of think of it like if wages are going up, people still have more money and people just continue to spend that money. The inflation or the price increases that businesses have pushed through will kind of just get cemented in. Um, so potentially the, the labor market needs to be weakened a little bit to, to get that last bit of in, inflation um, down. Um, mm. In terms of how to handle inflation going forward, there's actually a fair bit of disagreement uh, in the Fed. Um, Ooh. So most members did vote in favor of the last hike and all uh, members agree that inflation is unacceptably high still. Uh, but some members think that the committee should have paused in July to wait and see how previous increases are impacting the economy. And they pretty much unanimously agree that there's no way for them to know uh, what the cumulative impact of the past rate hikes have been so far. So they're all kind of saying, you know, we'll continue to do our best, but we actually have no clarity at all on how, uh, you know, what lag effect there is of, of the rate hikes thus far. Um, yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? Is, and that's what they've said, is that it takes time for this to work its way through the economy. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it is literally like when you're dealing with this sort of stuff, it is literally impossible. Yeah, You just have to kind of do it and then see what happens, I guess. Yeah, and that's why you get cycles, right? Like uh, yeah. if they knew exactly what to do, you, they could keep the economy quite smooth over time but they always do yeah. too much in one direction and it and they go oops let's pull it back the other way and then it goes too far yeah. that way it, that's that that's the economy that's that's how it's impossible that's how it works yeah it's exactly how it works um and then you chuck yeah. in you know you know supply shock here and and you know regulation change here like there's just too many COVID here yeah COVID. <laughs> yeah that's just a little thing that happened <laughs> might have done something to the economy um yeah so yeah it's a very difficult job The minutes also noted the economy was expected to slow and unemployment likely will rise somewhat. However, staff economists retracted an earlier forecast that the troubles in the banking industry could lead to a mild recession this year. And I think that's just a fun reminder. Mm. Well, not a fun reminder. It's a reminder that the Fed gets things wrong. Um, So just a few months ago, they were projecting a recession this year because of the Silicon Valley Bank and everything going on there. And they've already retracted that. And, you know, we already saw their incorrect projections of inflation. So it's a reminder that while yeah. it's interesting to listen to what they say, um, don't take it. Yeah. So take it with a very big handful of salt. <laughs> this is, uh, I say this all the time, but this is just classic when people are saying, uh, standing up on CNBC and saying, oh, we think there's going to be a recession. Oh, we see rates going to here, there. Oh, we yeah. think it's going to be lowered. It's like... Not even the Fed knows, and <laughs> yeah. they're the ones. They're the ones doing it. Yeah, they've got they're the ones with their hands on the lever. <laughs> yeah, they're the ones causing they, it. <laughs> yeah, and they don't even know. It's yeah. like if the Fed, if Jerome and the Fed can't even tell, then how can anyone else? <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah. So it's so. Don't true. listen to macroeconomic predictions. No, no, it's pointless. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. Uh, and then just the last bit of economic news that I'll, uh, I'll I'll get out here was UK inflation as well. Uh, headline uh, inflation dropped sharply to 6.8% from uh, 7.9% last month. So coming down, but still very high, uh, driven by falling gas and electricity prices. Uh, oh, and okay. food uh, grew. Uh, food costs grew slower than last year. So they still grew, but, but less than last year. It's uh, good to hear that the gas and electricity prices are falling in uh, in the UK. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah, yeah there's been a big problem. Um, well, it's been a big problem everywhere, but particularly in the UK with um, with the war in Ukraine and the impacts on supply um, supply chains there. Um, yep. 
So yeah, that's it's good to see that kind of finally happening. Core inflation, which strips out food, energy, and other volatile uh, categories, was six point nine percent. So again, same story. Core inflation now higher than headline, um, and it was actually the same as last month. So it didn't decline. Uh, the Bank of England voted to hike interest rates a couple of weeks ago to uh, by twenty five basis points. Uh, although the vote was split, three voted for a twenty five basis point hike, one voted for no hike, and two voted for a 50 basis point hike. So there's a bit of disagreement. Interesting that one voted for no hike. <laughs> yeah, whoever that is, that guy? they should be fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I wonder what their interest rates are at. Their no, interest rates are a bit over 5%. I think it was 5.25%. Oh, okay. So pretty much okay. in line with the US, uh, a little bit higher than, <clears throat> than here in Australia. Um, Just suffering still from that inflation. That's, yeah, that's rough. Yeah, it's a steep inflation. What's ours in Australia? I can't even remember. Um, five percent around five, six, seven, somewhere around there. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, very interesting, Hamish. It's good to see at least in the US that things, you know, actually some data to be, you know, cautiously excited about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, they've kind right. of been kind of ahead of everyone else in, in some respects in terms of inflation and rate hikes. So hopefully it's a mm. window into what's to come for, for us. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, hey, tell us about what uh, what Joey Biden's talking about with these Chinese investments. Oh, I heard yeah. something about that, but um, I haven't really looked into it yet. Yes, this was earlier in the week. I haven't looked kind of too much into this um, uh, because I'm, I'm not actually sure if it really reflects anything overly uh, kind of... Nothing um, important? Nothing that really impacts, I think, most people. Um, so what happened okay. was the, the Biden administration signed a new executive order to restrict US private equity and venture capital investments in Chinese technology. So um, if you're an American private equity or venture capitalist investor, <laughs> this impacts you. No. Um, so it's fairly niche, but potentially it has some kind of broader implications that are kind of interesting. So Biden is specifically targeting uh, investments in technologies like semiconductors, quantum computing, and artificial intelligence on concerns that China's advancements in those areas run counter to U.S. national security interests. Um, right. So they're concerned about essentially capital, American capital, going towards building technologies that will be used to go into uh, the Chinese military, for example, or, or used in right. some kind of way against the U.S. Uh, according to PitchBook, uh, U.S private equity and venture capital investments in China had already fallen to an 8-year low in 2022. So investors were already kind of pulling out, so private equity investors were already pulling out of China um, last year before any of this kind of has gone down. Uh, mm. And that's mostly related to geopolitical concerns and, and also just the weakening economy in China. Uh, yeah. Eric Rayner, the managing partner at Vine Ventures, a venture capital firm in the U.S., said U.S. money should not be used to finance Beijing's military development. So that's kind of a, a nice way, I think, to summarize the purpose of this executive order. Um, yeah, makes sense, I guess. Yeah. So it's fairly limited um, in how the ban applies now. It's kind of like AI and quantum computing, these kind of fringe uh, technologies that are just starting to be developed now. Um, but it potentially indicates that m more bans are going to come. Uh, and that they may potentially widen. And you're, you're starting to see companies take a bit of preemptive action uh, to, to, to kind of move some of their businesses out of China in anticipation of potential more trade wars and that sort of thing and economic uh, wars. And one of those companies is Apple. Um, so we've got a bit of news out of Apple this week, uh, which was that uh, Apple supplier Foxconn began production of the iPhone 15 in India. Um, so that's been something they've mm. been talking about for a little while now, probably more than a couple of years, I would say, uh, about moving more of their manufacturing out of China and into India to kind of diversify their manufacturing, which for so long and, and continues to be mostly um, out of China. Uh, what did this article say? Apple has been aiming yeah, right. to diversify its supply chain uh, as the dynamic between the US and China continues to grow, uh, continues to grow tense. Uh, after meeting with Indian Prime Minister Modi at the White House earlier this year, uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook told CNBC that India represents a huge opportunity, uh, even though it's only 7% of uh, iPhone production uh, at the moment for, for Apple. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You can definitely see what they're doing there. 
yep. slowly transitioning across. Um, Tesla are doing something similar as well. Well, they obviously are definitely staying in China, but they're also thinking about building their next generation of car in India. So yeah, that's that's quite interesting. Um, yeah, but, uh, a- yeah. I don't think I have too much to say on this. Sorry, what were you going to say? No, there's just certainly a lot more uncertainty now. I think with with people investing in China, because yeah, as I said. Private equity was already kind of pulling out of out of China, and that is because if there's uncertainty about bans coming down, you don't want to have your money stuck there. You don't want to be stuck in kind of a bottleneck of people trying to get money out uh, when a ban is coming down. So this ban's going to go through next year. You don't want to have money there that you have to pull out because everyone's trying to pull out. So you're, you're, there's going to be a huge supply, whole people trying to sell their equity. Uh, so people kind of act preemptively, um, which means even though the bans aren't broader now people are acting as if they will be because the consequence of getting stuck with invested with, with capital in China could be significant. Um, like for example, people trying to, if they went and banned people from us, uh, investors from owning like 10 cent or other Chinese companies, uh, you can think about the mad rush to the door if they put through a ban like that. So a lot of people yeah. that's, and that's why those stocks have been suffering recently because people are just deciding, well, let me just get out now. I'll lose a bit of money now, but I'll avoid the catastrophe that it would be if <laughs> if, <laughs> if they actually do put a ban down, which they might not, but they've taken mm. some steps to, to ban some things. Yeah, makes sense. There you go. Very interesting, Hamish. Should we do some Q&A before we get out of here? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're we're running we're running low on time, so maybe we can do this other news story we're going to talk about. We can do it next week, I think. Yeah, let me um, um I'll, maybe uh, do a couple questions. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask a I'll ask a question to you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, sure. Did you? Oh, by the way, before you do, um, if you have a Q and A question you'd like to ask us, either go over to the Spotify uh, question box, or you can just drop it uh, drop us a comment in the most recent YouTube version of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, did you experience a Dunning Kruger effect when you started studying stock analysis? I'm currently in the valley of despair. <laughs> Any tips on how to move on? That's a good question. I'm yeah. sorry to hear yeah. you're in the valley of despair. <laughs> yeah. Um, Short answer, yes. Uh, for those that don't know the Dunning-Kruger effect, uh, it's, it is a cognitive bias in which people with limited competence in a particular domain overestimate their abilities. Um, then as experience with a subject increases, confidence typically declines due to more uh, to more realistic levels. As people learn more about the topic, they begin to recognize their own lack of knowledge and ability. Um, so in short, yes, <laughs> I definitely uh, <laughs> fell victim to the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, but I, I think that's it's it's very common, especially in investing. You know, <clears throat> um, I, I like to tell this story um, because it shows how different I, I kind of am as an investor now. When I first started learning about the stock market, um, I was just watching like YouTube video. I was doing the classic the classic thing where I'd watch like a CNBC thing and I'd see some hedge fund manager talking about a particular stock or I'd see on YouTube someone talking about a stock and I'd be like, oh, they make a good point and then I would buy it. And that was mm. so, so silly. But I'm like, oh, yeah, they made some great points. And then I'd look at it and it's like, yeah, look, their revenue's going up. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good <laughs> buy, you know, like not knowing anything, man. Um, and I don't know. You're, you're exactly right. The more you know, the more you know, the kind of the more you realize, the more you don't know, <laughs> yeah. in a way. Um, and that's very much the case with the stock market because there's never a, a point where you can sit down and say confidently, yeah, I got this. <laughs> I mean, it's constant, it's, it's yeah. ever changing. And it's, you can get more comfortable with your own abilities, hmm. but, um, but yeah, you're never going to know everything. No. And the more you invest, the more you realize there's, infinite amounts you could potentially learn about businesses even just one business yeah yeah i I feel like within with uh investing there's like quite a few valley of despairs like you kind of go through these like at least for me if i feel like i go through these cycles of 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 learning more uh and then thinking you know know it all and then you know learning more and realizing okay i don't know it all and it's it's uh as you said it's kind of a field where there's just so much you can learn that you can always you can always do more, and I like the way that um, slightly unrelated, but I like the way that Seth Klarman phrases it, which is investing is kind of like um, it's a combination of like humility and arrogance. So you have to be humble enough to do the work and always question your research and, and whether you're you're doing the right thing, 
But you also have to be kind of arrogant at moments to say, you know, I am, I have done the research. Or I am right. And you know, yeah. you need to be confident as well. So it's not about... Just co- yeah, confident. Not even arrogant. Just like This is the way he phrased it. Yeah, yeah it's confidence. Yeah, oh, right. right. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, you kind of need to balance these two things. And I think good investors can balance those two things. They can, when they, they, they do the work, they're willing to criticize themselves and constantly learn more. But when they have done the work, they have the confidence to, to mm. go after it. I think if you can balance those things right, then um, you'll, yep. you'll do you'll do well. One trick that I've learned is that w- with investing, it's a game of probabilities. I mean, everything in life is probability. But if you can think probabilistically when it comes to investing, that is very handy in still being able to make confident decisions, but also realizing your limitations. Yeah. So as Monish Prabhai says... What, what we're trying to do when buying stocks is we're trying to find situations where heads I win, but tails I don't lose much. So you're always very uh, open and honest being like, okay, there are things that I don't know, um, but I'm looking for situations where I, if I invest, there's a high potential upside. But if I got it wrong or if I miss something, then the chances that I'm going to be cleaned up and wiped out are, are quite low. Yep. So you're never saying I'm going to make money on this stock. You look, you're th- you're saying I don't know, and if I if I get it right, I might break it in. If I got it wrong, I'm not going to have destroyed my portfolio. I think that's an important way of thinking as well. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. And that speaks to yeah. why. Uh, so many value investors like investing in high quality companies and then, you know, at some reasonable price because, yeah, they're betting that the company will continue to expand and and become a much bigger company in the future. But if that doesn't play out, they still own a good company with good operations that's not, you know, making 11,000 cars and an $80 billion valuation. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So you've still got something fundamentally where your your money is kind of preserved in a way, even if the the upside that you projected doesn't fully materialize Mm, yep um okay let me ask you one uh how deep do you guys both go into balance sheets and annual reports when assessing businesses obviously it's pivotal in uh business quality but how far do you uh do you deep dive on the small details yeah i think that's a good question i think again it kind of comes back to the the other the other question is there's always more you can learn um so yeah, I like going quite deep on annual reports. In my view, it's kind of like the way I see it is the more that I read about a company or the industry, the more pieces of a, of a very, very large, you know, 50,000 piece puzzle that I have. And the, the better I can kind of stand back and look and, and understand what's happening at, at an overall level. Mm. So like the little details, they might not influence your investing decision all that much, but understanding, you know, you might go back five or seven years into a company and for the first time you find a problem that comes up every five or seven years. And you would have just completely missed it if you only went back three years. And maybe that doesn't, actually play much of a dis- role in your, in your your analysis, but now you have this understanding, okay, every five to seven years in this industry, this thing happens, you know, labor costs shoot up or the, the you know, there's a shortage of beef or wh- whatever it is, right? And you just have a better, yeah. clearer picture of what it is that you're participating in. And so mm. I think that's the way to think about small details. It's not about, you know, being a picky analyst and being like, okay, well, this went up 1.7%. So now I think it's going to go, it's not about that. It's about just understanding the details as a part of the larger picture of like the, the machine that you're, you know, yeah. buying basically. Um, yeah. I think one of the most important things, because you can definitely get stuck in analysis paralysis because oh, there's yeah. always like the annual reports, they just go on and on. There's so much data, so many details, um, partly just because they're regulatory filings and they have to, like they're required. You must show us everything. Yeah. Um, but you can just get stuck. You can just get stuck looking at just tiny detail after tiny detail. And by the time you've got to the end of the document, you're like, crap, what did the first half of it talk about? I can't even remember. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think you've got to get to a point where you, you can you confidently understand what the business does, how they make money, what their growth plans are. Um, and you also need a really uh, confident view of the business's financial health, like how much cash do they generate? Um, they should definitely be profitable. How profitable are they? How well are those profits protected by like a, an economic moat? Um, if things went wrong, 
what's their debt burden? You know, how much total debt do they have? Are they going? Are they at risk of going under? Like, for example, uh, a company like Meta or Google, even if things went wrong, chances are they're not going under. Quite simply, because they have such little debt, so they just don't owe anything to anyone. And as Peter Lynch says, some companies will still try to go bankrupt in those situations, <laughs> but it's very, very hard. You know, it's hard yeah. to go bust. So it's it's like at a fundamental level, you definitely want to have a good grasp on like what's the financial health of the company? What what happens if things go wrong? Am I okay? Um, have they been growing consistently over time? Do they look set to grow consistently into the future? That kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, if you're looking at... Um, tiny little like microscopic details that that stuff is is still good to know because it increases your overall understanding but not fundamentally necessary to be able to make a reasonable investment i guess yeah yeah really well put yeah that's good yeah thanks all right. Well, with that, <laughs> with that said, I uh, hope everyone has a good rest of your weekend. Of course, uh, if you have any questions for next week, as, as Brandon said, uh, if you're on Spotify, just go below and uh, ask them in Spotify or head over to the YouTube version of the podcast and leave them as uh, a comment on the latest episode. Uh, thanks to Seeking Alpha for sponsoring uh, this week's uh, episode, seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for 14 days. So go check it out if you haven't already. Thanks, Brandon, for joining me as always. And good, man. we'll be back next week uh, with an update on how my back is. So, um, yeah, we'll see, you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you then, guys. Uh, see you later, guys. See you guys. Uh,